Welcome to The Fulfillment Project. I'm your host, Sarah Fennell, international fitness model and former IFBB pro figure athlete turned personal development sponge, entrepreneur, and online marketing junkie. I want to have it all in life, and I am not afraid to admit it. This show is for high-performing, high-vibing humans who are ready to take action, step through their fears, and up-level their life and business. Join me as we take one more step closer to that today. Welcome back to The Fulfillment Project. I'm excited for today because I have an awesome guest, Justin Janoska. Welcome, Justin. Hey, Sarah. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I'm so excited to introduce you to my listeners because we have a pretty juicy, juicy topic today. So those of you listening here, just so you know who Justin is, he's a clinician and founder of the Autoimmune Revolution. This is an emerging company that guides women in their healing journey to reverse their autoimmune disease and reproductive disorder. He holds a master's in human nutrition from the University of Bridgeport, but has a very different and unique approach that emphasizes the mind-body medicine, which I find so cool. So he naturally, he continues to advocate for women who are struggling with eating disorders, disordered eating, and childhood trauma. Through his work with his clients, he helps them acquire a deeper understanding of how they got there, supports them with their pain, and embraces their truth. He is also the author of The Flexible Dieting Disaster, why counting macros is destroying your relationship with food and yourself. And this is what we're going to dive into today. And I'm so excited to have you here, Justin. Welcome. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Great, great. So flexible dieting disaster. Uh, Let's start right there with that. And for anybody who maybe has been living under a rock for a little bit of a while, what is flexible dieting? Yeah, true. (laughs) Good, Good question. So it's just the concept of simply tracking your macronutrients, hence uh, carbs, protein, and fat. And it's just a more precise way um, beyond just counting calories to kind of really hone in on your diet and make sure that you can get as specific as you can to get the outcome you want the best with your weight loss. Uh, Usually, not always weight loss, but that's generally what people use it for. So it's a very valuable tool and, you know, kind of, I would say a bit of a contradiction to the um, title. I, it is got a lot of, it does have a lot of effectiveness and utility. Um, but yeah, that's essentially what it is. And it's just designed to, you know, keep you on track and make things simple without having to worry about if you're literally, you know, off track or not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, I, I come from that fitness background, as my listeners know. So I'm very... Uh, familiar with what it means. I feel like flexible dieting, you know, and the dieting industry in general. So flexible flexible dieting has really come up in the last 10 years, but the dieting industry has been going on for, you know, so many, so many decades. And, you know, I myself have fallen into traps with certain diets from the aesthetic component and, and so many women do as well. And I love the work that you're doing with women, you know, to help them, you know, get over these disordered eating or these strict regimens in order to particularly look a certain way because they can ultimately lead into more harmful conditions in the body because most diets don't focus on that internal work. No, 100%. Yeah. 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 So, so before we dive into all this content, how did you get you know, into the realm of, of helping women, you know, through dieting, um, when, sorry, with dieting, um, with autoimmune dis- issues and, and want to dive deep into that? Yeah. So the Reader's Digest version of the story really looks like, okay, so before I tapped into the autoimmune world, 
a couple of years ago, I was working with a lot of young girls between the ages of maybe, you know, 17, 18-ish to young, early 20s. And I was exposed to a lot of challenges with what they would express to me that is relating to, okay, this coach put me on a thousand calories and I'm basically on 40 grams of carbs, doing two hours of cardio a day, um, food discrimination, I can't have any cheat foods and all that whole thing, you know, how, it's, how it is. And people were expressing their major anxiety and fear around food. And while I can't stop counting macros and tracking calories because I'm afraid that it's going to sabotage my results, you know, whether or not I'm still in the dieting stint or not. And that was a big, you know, warning to me. And I'm like, okay, well, why is this happening? Well, I could see a little bit of why. And I, I adopted some sort of belief, uh, therapies and, and strategies around this, how to help them heal that, mostly to the tune of mindful eating and stuff like that. A lot of us have heard of. And that worked a little bit, but I, I kept seeing it show up a lot. And I'm like, okay, well, there's got to be another reason for this. And I started to associate it and see it a lot uh, closely related to early childhood events and trauma and things like that. And no, it's not to say that everybody who does dieting has trauma, but it definitely was a huge sort of revelation for me because now I could see that this might be explaining a lot of our unconscious behaviors and what we are trying to fill at a subconscious level, which is get these unmet needs. And that looks a lot like attention and approval and acknowledgement and worthiness and adequacy and so forth. And so then I had to really look at this and say, okay, why isn't anybody looking at this and seeing the dire ramifications that can come from this? And it weaved into the autoimmune thing a little bit because I could see both things kind of happening simultaneously. Not, no, not everybody has disordered eating or eating disorder with an autoimmune disease. However, I do see a lot of parallels and they oftentimes coexist. But uh, I will admit that a lot of my autoimmune clients admit they had again, issues with disordered eating. And so it also ties into macros and flexible dieting and that sort of fixation that we have around it. So that sums up, I think, about kind of how I got in this. It wasn't really anything I really tried to do or strive to help people with, but it kept falling into my lap. And I'm like, I have to pay attention to this and see what we can do about it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I... It's interesting what you said there about, you know, childhood trauma and, you know, issues that were that we dealt with as, as a child. Um, we've had a few guests on here talking about, you know, subconscious behaviors and those imprints that, you know, are really ingrained in us at such a young age. So why do you feel that childhood trauma is linked to people who go on restrictive diets? Well... <clears throat> It can look like a couple of ways. And I would say not just dieting, but also binge eating and real disordered eating habits and issues there, right? So a good example would be that, and I've had clients like this who have told me that, you know, my grandfather, my parents didn't, uh, they, they told me that I can't eat these foods that make me fat and, you know, you need to be better than this. And just a lot of that sort of emotional type of abuse, you would call it, right? And so... Over time, after many years of that, you start to, I mean, you don't know you're doing it, but you start to adopt some of these dietary behaviors. You start to, you know, read what people are writing in magazines or on Instagram, I think. And then you start to follow what they're doing and you 
or unconsciously starting a diet. And you realize that I think that you have emotions. And again, like I said before, um, things you want to get filled, these gaps that need to get filled, worthiness, attention, acknowledgement. And well, if I can change my body, then that's an easy way for me to get that, right? So it's just one outlet for us to get those emotions. It doesn't have to be dieting. I want to make that clear, but it's definitely a popular one. And that can morph into disordered eating because of the fixation and the compulsive behaviors we have around dieting. But even binge eating and bulimia and anorexia are all other sorts of self-defeated behaviors and self-sabotage that um, we think are ser- we think is serving us, but it's really not. But it also stems from some sort of trauma or experience we've had in the past, right? So that's kind of how, how I've seen it. And the research definitely has pointed this out as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's so interesting because I mean, my background was fitness and a lot of fitness competitions and I know a lot of women in that world and it definitely, it gives you some significance to feel like you are in control and that you are doing something and you're making changes to your body and people take notice of that or you're at a party and you're like, no, I can't eat that. I'm on this special diet and you're, mm-hmm. you're definitely right. It gives you that attention. So, yeah, and I, I love that you... Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, I wanted to say, you mentioned control, and that's a huge one, actually. That's a reoccurring theme I see all the time. And I have a client right now who we just kind of worked through this recently, I'll tell you briefly, mm-hmm. where she um, had an ulcer when she was three years old. And she was afraid of all these foods, right? And thought that, well, I need to make sure that I have good health and I don't want to be harmed again, so I'm going to avoid all these foods. And she naturally and unconsciously developed anorexia, but not because she was a glue to her body image, right? It, it just happened as a byproduct of this fear. And so she also was dealing with um, lack of control, right? So she had alcoholic type of parents. And one of the thing, things that happened to children of alcoholic parents is they have a loss of control and they feel the need to actually um, control their behaviors actually at the same time, ironically, to make sure that there's peace and no sorts of chaos in the family. So for her, she also carried that forward in her life. So she's controlling macros and her exercise and all these things and trying to control her health and it's carried over and she's developed an autoimmune disease. So you can see how it's an example of how all the stuff can be connected. But again, everyone's different. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I love that your work is diving into autoimmune. So what were some of the benchmarkers, I guess you could say, where you started to realize these connections between you know, strict eating or strict dieting or counting macros and autoimmune? So it has more to do with the stress. It's not the fact that you just um, count macros and that create that ch- causes changes in your immune system, but it has to do with emotional um, aspect of it and the thoughts and beliefs and stories around it. So to make it really simple, when you have recurring stress from something like trauma, that actually really is a low-grade stress. We know that. We can track it and see in the body. Um, paired with maybe modern stressors about uh, worrying about your macros and worrying about what other people are thinking of you and, and work stress and domestic stuff, all that stuff. Collectively, all those things can really um, change your, what I call, what's what the research calls biological embedding, which essentially means that you have a heightened sort of hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis response. So a stress response, essentially. And what that's doing is it causes dysregulation in cortisol levels. It causes uh, neuroendocrine disruption and 
imbalances in, in other hormones too. And it basically will cause brain damage over a long period of time if cortisol is that high. But it skews the immune system in a really crazy way. And I won't get into the science of it because it's kind of over the top. But like the point is that if you have the right genetic susceptibility to any autoimmune disease, chronic stress, I know, and I've seen it millions of times, is the Achilles heel for it. Um, because you can do everything right, but if you have stress going on from modern stress or past stress, it's going to continue to derail your immune system. And that's where things become awry, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yes. And do you think that we can reverse these autoimmune conditions by fixing the diet? Yeah, we can, but it's one small aspect of it. And a lot of people who may be listening, who have an autoimmune disease or know somebody who does, um, they, they spend a lot of time working on their diet for sure. And the obsession around macros and the drive for dieting and, you know, constantly exercising and being a caloric deficit, that's all major stresses to the body. Mm-hmm. And in a female, the female body is very sensitive to stress. So it's no wonder that I see women lose their period every, you know, once in a blue moon, because there was some major event that they decided to respond to in a way that was not conducive to their health. The other yeah. quick thing I'll mention, yeah. the other quick thing that might be more relevant here is that there's very little research on this, but this preliminary research showing the connection between eating disorders and autoimmune disease. So check this out, right? So there was a study that I, I can tell you that showed that children with anorexia have been associated with a 64%, I believe, increased risk for autoimmunity. And it has probably to do with, uh, if I remember correctly, it has probably to, to do with sort of the stress that's, ha- that's happening, not only in the immune system, maybe... Um, also in the gut as well, because we know that stress can wreak havoc in the gut. It can cause a leaky gut, and that can be the gateway to autoimmunity. Wow. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And that whole stress, you know, if we're looking to change the body physically, it's not just how we're dieting. It's the exercise. It's the mindset component. It's it's everything that increases those stress responses. So naturally, Mm -hmm. this makes so much sense to me. This is why I'm loving that we're having this conversation. Now, when it's rooted back to past trauma, what are some tools that people can use to perhaps help them identify any past trauma? You know, maybe they think that they had a great childhood or that they weren't under a lot of stress as a child. So what would you recommend for someone to help digging out those those past stories? Yeah, that's a great question. And that's one thing I'll mention quickly with what you said about, um, well, I don't know if I really had any trauma. I had great parents. I hear that all the time. Mm-hmm. And, and the point is that, sure, that might be really true. And that's great. However, there are things that happened at a very young age between, you know, one and seven, eight years old, probably, right? During those sensitive years where there may have been some event or experience or something that went on that you reacted negatively to and you had a story and a belief around it. And you have these thoughts and emotions and they carry over and you have perceptions about all that, and you start to act differently, right? You behave differently. And so, honestly, it's not a matter of if we have trauma or not. We all probably do, and, and that's just the reality of being a human. But it's the story and the perception we have about the experience that dictates as to whether or not we end up with illness, depression, anxiety, all these you know, mental health illnesses that seemingly, I'll just say, like everyone in the fitness industry says or claims they have. Well, where do you think that might come from? Maybe something like this in the past, right? Not to say that that's true for everybody, but we have to sort of think you know, largely and widen the lens a little bit. 
So not to get sidetracked here, but mm-hmm. <laughs> so one of the great ways of doing this, and I talk about this in my book, The Flexible Diet of Disaster, is you can start to create a timeline. I call it the biography of biology timeline. And it's simply just mapping out, well, what are the major events that I never really forgotten about? And most people I've worked with don't forget this stuff. They, they are, they're clearly aware that at age five, I was sexually abused. At age nine, my parents went through a divorce. At age 13, maybe um, there was you know, a natural disaster and I felt like my house is going to collapse from this hurricane, whatever. And so there's a series of things, one or seven or more than that, depends. And we can kind of see where that is in your life from birth to how old you are now. You can also kind of map out the emotions that you may have felt about it. That's a little bit harder and that requires deeper meditative type of skills. But some people are aware that, yeah, I'm carrying some fear and anger and stuff, but there's something beneath that. You know, there's deeper emotions that are there. So we have to explore that. And then lastly, it's the behaviors. And that comes back to, well, okay, if I had these emotions and this event occurred, what are these self-defeating, self-sabotage behaviors that maybe aren't serving me right now? It seems like it's serving me, but it's not. And that relates to things like drugs, alcohol, materialism, you know, being a perfectionist, trying to change your, you know, being on a diet all the time. Why are you doing a competition? Is it really because you want to look better and you do it for self-improvement or is it because you're still with a child? So that's kind of what I mean. And it's, it's definitely uh, putting salt in the wound for some people, um, no pun intended, but that's kind of how I've seen it. And so that's the first part of this is narrative medicine. How did you come to be this way? We want to ask that question, not judge it or hate it or get rid of it, but we have to bring it forward to our consciousness and integrate our consciousness because for so many years, we've just withdrawn it. We've withdrawn um, from it with judgment and, and denied it and avoided it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we're all trying to, uh, most of us out there, they're trying to fix all the external things that are going on in their life as opposed to turning inwards and, and asking those right questions about how do they mm-hmm. fix that their, their internal selves. Yeah. So a lot of the clients that you see, do you feel like it's almost like a last resort that people have tried different things and then they've gotten themselves into, you know, a state of illness and then, you know, they end up coming to you as a, a last resort or do you find that you open up their mind to thinking about things completely differently? So are we talking about like just any chronic illness or anything like that? Yeah. Let's talk about like a woman who has been dieting for many, many years. She's trying to change her external appearance, but you know, the more she tries to work on her nutrition work, I'm using bunny ears here, work on her nutrition and illness Mm -hmm. starts to occur. So, you know, do you find that the people who come to you, you bring this sense of completely new awareness to, uh, to how they've been approaching their life or have they heard about, you know, dieting being a little bit more detrimental to them and they're looking for new ways? Yeah, both actually. They're aware that it's, it's a problem because they can't stop thinking about it even when they delete my fitness pal. And <laughs> that's that cognitive block I talk about in the book too. And yeah. we've all, even I've done it, honestly. And that's how I know. And I've had people tell me like, like, holy crap, like I'm literally doing that right now. And that's, it, it's still disordered eating. You know, even if you're not counting literally in your, on your phone or using my fitness pal, it's still in your head. That's still a problem. So, but really most people are aware, but some don't always know that. And so what I found, and this comes back to a client, I, I think I talk about in the book. Um, and, and so she wanted to lose weight. She had this goal. But what we found was that once we actually tapped into the deeper things that may have been driving, driving her reason to diet, 
she kind of lost the, the drive to do it. Like the desire was not so strong. And what I always say is like diet and lose weight because you love yourself, not because you hate yourself or because you're trying to, you know, cover up a wound, right? Mm -hmm. That's the difference. It's not to say that you can't diet, but it's gotta be for the right reason. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about these cognitive blocks a little bit more because I really enjoyed that part of your book. So, you know, there are apps and there are people who, you know, they, the tracking of everything. What else do you see that people are blocking themselves from getting over this hurdle? So more specifically, you mean in terms of... Yeah. Like how are people blocking themselves from getting out of that diety mentality? Ah, I see. Well, that's probably related to, I would say, all the attention we have on... Um, how do I describe it? So it's, it's, it's a lot to do with what we fix uh, or, or gravitating towards every day, right? Mm-hmm. It's, all the, it's all the materialism. It's all the, um, the things that we are, are you know, drugs and, and food and all these things that we think are going to give us the, um, the value or the attention or the happiness that we want, right? So like we create our own obstacles just by doing that and turning away from the, the wounds and, and the pains that we have, the burdens. But a lot of times, again, we don't know that we have it. So it's not really your fault, but it is your fault, I think, <laughs> until it's in your consciousness and you're aware of it. So we, we do that to ourselves a little bit, but it's not that simple because a lot of us aren't aware. We just kind of, that's how we survived. It was our conditioned pattern, right? We had thoughts, behaviors, and emotions. And so in order for us to survive, we did that stuff. And we just need somebody, I think, or something to show us that, well, maybe this is why you're doing this. This is why you're thinking this way. This is why you have anxiety. This is why you have gut issues all the time. So it's beyond just tracking macros, but it really has an effect on your entire body and symptoms you're experiencing. And the one thing I always say is like, your symptoms provide the source of where the healing is if you're willing to listen. Mm-hmm. So not just a physical symptom, but maybe your mental, right? Uh, anxiety or depression you're having. And also the, the, the issue of, of dieting and, and tracking macros all the time. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You talk a lot about the mind body connection and Mm -hmm. a lot of people don't really understand that until they've been in that state of really connecting their thoughts with how they're treating their body and how their body is feeling and going for more of a, an intuitive aspect as opposed to uh, what everybody else says I should do. So what are your, some of your suggestions for allowing people to have that mind body connection more? So it comes back to awareness and that's the general theme with this. It's mindfulness. It's, you know, we all know about meditation, I think. And it comes back to that whole concept of learning to be with what is and not judge it or hate it or get rid of it and avoid it. So if we can get the mind right, a lot of the physical ailments and issues we deal with suddenly go away. No, it's not the only thing that's going to make it go away. Yeah. Maybe we need to fix your microbiome and, you know, clean out your liver and all that stuff and change your diet and, you know, that's all great stuff, mm-hmm. but it's an integration of, you know, we think about my body medicine, really it's the integration of one's uh, biology, like their, their physiology, their psychology, and also their biography, right? Their history, how do they get this way? So when we integrate all those things, then we can start to transform stress and wounds and pain into a journey of healing and awakening. But that has to be, that's, that comes from awareness, so it comes back to using things like the biography, biology timeline. It's writing out your story. It's right, really writing out your autobiography and just kind of noting, well, what 
what do you remember? Okay, like write all these things that, that come out of your mind. And maybe there'll be more things that come later. But it's, again, it comes back to integrating our consciousness. And a lot of us just don't do that. We just live yeah. off our subconscious mind, which we all know that. And that's, that's what we're operating from every day of our life. So if we want to actually get better in a lot of different health aspects um, and stop what we're doing, then we need to start integrating awareness and consciousness. And that's why mindfulness, mindfulness and meditation is so powerful because it helps prime that, it primes that, um, flexes that muscle, I would say, right? Same thing in the gym, what you're doing in your mind. And that's what allows you to tap into those, um, I would say like the, the cabinet drawer that's got cobwebs and, you know, <laughs> mold all around it, you know, that we've kind of just been leaving alone. Yeah. Yeah. Awareness is huge. And I find far too many people don't stop. Like they don't pause their life to do those deep reflections. They're always looking for like the next thing to solve their problem and the next thing to solve their problem. And most yeah. of the time it's nothing exterior. So what would mm-hmm. be some, I don't know if I'd call them warning signs, but what would be some red flags or some markers that people should look for if, you know, because we're talking about dieting and restriction and illnesses, for people to recognize that maybe they're not in the best spot or having the best method to change their body? Some symptoms, warning signs. Yeah. And so the obvious first thing would be the obsession with macros and not being able to stop thinking about it. Um, worrying about how you look and comparing yourself all the time. And it just asks that question, not judging it. Of course, like, why is that? Why do I still compare myself to such and such on Instagram? And why am I obsessively in my food all the time? Why do I have to look up the nutrition at a restaurant before I go out? Right? All these sort of things. Now there, there is a model I talk about in the book. I'll just briefly mention because it's important. Mm-hmm. It really encompasses mm-hmm. everything here. It's called the trial layer model of eating disorder and sorting development. And it's kind of how I've, you know, mapped this all out in a way that makes sense. I think from my point of view of working with a lot of women and seeing the connections that can, can happen. No, it's not to say that you're going to go down all these different paths, but it's simply this idea of, okay, if you have a personal pursuit for dieting, for example, or doing a competition, cool, right? That actually may be really valid and there's no other reason for it. You know, you just want to, it's just want to get better at self-improvement. It's a challenge, growth, whatever. But then that can push you into disordered eating and maybe bulimia and anorexia, maybe just depending on what other influences have seeped into that, right? Now there's also the trauma aspect of it. And we talked about that, how you may have guilt and, and fear and anxiety maybe, and that can push you into disordered eating tendencies as well. And not having worthiness and feeling unlovable and undesirable, that can maybe push you into that as well or doing competition too. And then social media, right, can influence all of this because again, we're doing that self-comparison stuff internally. And there's that, we call it it's internal family systems. And it's just one of these sort of things where we have different sub-personalities and one of us is saying, Hey, be, you know, you're the perfectionist. Like, come on, let's go. You know, go to the gym today. And then the other personality is saying like, like, you can't do this. You're not cut out for this. Like you suck. I mean, just start binging on the ice cream. Forget it. Who cares? And then there's that guilt personality and saying like, what's wrong with you? Like, you know, like criticizing you. And that's sort of kind of what can happen for some people. So if that sort of dialogue is going on in your head, if you're always looking at social media and scrolling through things and really having a lot of anxiety around that, um, depending on how that looks and the conversation you're having, and you're still stuck on dieting and going to the gym and you can't take a day off because you have guilt about it 
or you know, you um, bring your, your food scale at Thanksgiving, all that stuff you hear about, right? That's all sort of warning signs, I would say. Yeah. Uh, amazing. Thank you so much for laying all that out because I saw myself <laughs> in every single one of those situations like four years ago. And I think, you know, a lot of people, like what you said at the beginning there, you do something because it's a personal goal and then you almost get stuck into a trend or a habit and it becomes a, a behavior inside of you. I started competing in 2009 because I thought it was something fun to do. Then it became like a business for me and then you know, getting up in the ranks and it almost becomes a, well, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is all that I know. All my friends were in the competition world and it just becomes that huge circle of influence. Um, and now that I've been out of that world for four years, I can see how much disordered thinking and behavior and the guilt, like what you said there, um, and all those mm-hmm. false expectations and dialogues that we put on ourselves. Uh, so thank you for laying that out there because I think when you're in the thick of it, you don't realize how destructive that can be to your mind, to your body, um, and to your whole life as well. So thank you for laying yeah, that out. Totally. So, yeah. so what is the, what is the solution here then? So how do women not break free from this, but what is the solution as opposed to counting macros and, you know, being on specific set of diets? What do you recommend? Yeah, it's going to come back a lot to the same things we're talking about here. And you can do, I'll say that, I'll preface with this. You can do mindful eating and intuitive eating and try to do that. And that's worked actually, but it's still kind of like a Band-Aid. You know, it's still very surface level stuff. And that's because, um, and I've seen this actually where, I made a mistake of that years ago when I wasn't aware of this trauma stuff really. And it wasn't, I didn't know how to help people with it. But yeah, you might get some results and you might have some sort of detachment from macros and you might stop caring about your body for a week or two, but then you kind of fall into bad habits again. And it's, again, that condition pattern we had from before. And so so then it comes back to self-exploration, right? Being aware of the old wounds and and that's the the missing element we need to do because um, that's going to make the huge, the biggest difference into whether or not you stay on this track for the rest of your life, counting macros, worrying about your weight and body image and having an eating disorder, I think too, actually, or you stop it, right? One thing I always say is like, there are, and it's not my quote, by the way, but there are two types of suffering, the suffering that leads to the end of suffering and the suffering that leads to more suffering. If you're not willing to experience the first type, you're surely going to continue to experience the first. Mm-hmm. And that's a long way of saying that if you continue to avoid these wounds and burdens that you think you have, or because you know you're abused and you had uh, issues around that and you just kind of stuffed it away, which we all do. And even though we know we had it, well, you're going to continue to struggle because your subconscious mind is operating your entire day. So, you know, that's exactly my point is you have to pay heed to that, acknowledge it and address it because if you don't, I'll tell you what, it's going to manifest into some problem beyond your eating issues later in life. And we know that because that's what's happening at a hormonal level, right? Affecting your immune system, affecting your brain, maybe causing depression and anxiety and maybe autoimmune disease and all these sort of drastic, severe health outcomes that I mentioned in the book, not to freak you out or scare you, but just bring awareness to the fact that, yeah, this might happen 10, 20, 30 years down the road if you don't change something. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So what would a healing journey timeline look like? Obviously, we're not talking about like a 12-week program or, you know, anything that is against what we're saying here. But if someone's looking to embark on this journey, what type of a timeline are they looking at to, you know, dive deep and, and start to heal some of these internal wounds? What I know that I know that timeline? answer varies. I know that answer varies. Well, um, so, so I get clarity. Do you mean in terms of um, how long it will take for them to get better, or mm-hmm. like how they got here? from uh, from your clients, from uh, you know some of the stories that are in your books? Oh, yeah, right. what's looking at like for so for women to finally start shifting their thinking, start releasing these these, these needs to control or these structured patterns? Yeah. So this is a journey. Yeah. Right. It's not a process, not a paint by numbers type type of thing. I make that really, really clear in the beginning. Which I think a lot of people have, get a lot of people get stuck on too, which is why I'm asking this question, because people are yeah. you know, oh, they're like, sure. Well, when am I healed? <laughs> What's the three right. the one, two, three for, step? <laughs> yeah. Right. They're looking for a process, they're looking for an outcome and seeing like, okay, when's this actually going to happen? And here's the thing, it's not a paint by numbers type of thing. It sucks. No one likes to hear that. But, you know, you have to kind of go into it with no expectations and you need to be unattached to the outcome. If you're attached to the outcome, if you're having stress and discomfort around everything you're doing and whether or not you're actually going to get better and healed or, or detached from macros and striving to lose weight, then you're striving. And that's one of the intentions I talk about, I think. And it's one of the ones that I communicate to my clients, but you got to be not striving about this. It doesn't mean you're not going to get there. It just means if you're having anxiety and fear and worry, and all these emotions that are not helpful, well, it's going to keep you paralyzed. It's going to keep you stuck because you're never going to get anything else done in your life, but it's also breeding more stress at an internal level, and that creates more havoc, right? So you got to get out of that frame of mind, and it's, it's a huge shift, and it's really profound when you get there, but it's so hard for so many because, like you said, we want to find this sort of process. We want to know the actual A, B, C, D, E, F, G steps, and it doesn't work that way. I mean, you're essentially... You know, you're putting on a blindfold. I kind of talk about this. You're putting on a blindfold and you're literally, you know, getting into a, an, a boat and you're, you're paddling through the Atlantic Ocean. You have no idea where you're going to hit, right? It's, it's scary, but that's where a change in growth comes from, right? Pain is your teacher, illness, whatever you're dealing with is your opportunity. So you have to go out there and expect nothing, but understand and trust the process because I know that if you trust it, you'll get where you want. But the healing comes from, from you inside. It's not from me. It's not from you. It's not from the doctor. Like they provide, we can provide you different things and skills and things that will help you get better. But ultimately the healing that you need for that stuff comes within, from within. And I acknowledge and can see the value in all these other, you know, therapies of EMDR and tapping and EFT and hypnotherapy, all that stuff is great. But the thing that they don't do is integrate your consciousness. That's why this is important because we're always trying to have somebody do something to fix this, like get rid of this, right? And that's also striving. So we have to kind of calm down a bit and look outward and see, well, how can we just explore into the harbor of the unknown and allow for the emergence of whatever will will come? Because eventually it will, you know, but how long that takes, it's so hit or miss. I mean, it could be three months, it could be nine months, it could be much longer. It's, it just depends on how long or, or really what your, what your, um, body decides to do or your subconsciousness decides to do, I would say, and you're tapping into the inner wisdom and that's not anything you can push or, or force to come out. It just kind of develops and unfolds as it will when it decides to. 
Yeah. And if you're willing to listen to yourself and go through that journey, you know, it, it most likely speeds up. And I love what you said there about most people are looking outside of themselves and they're looking for other people to fix them. They're looking for other people for the answers because they're not self-aware of themselves. They're not taking those moments to pause and listen to what they need. And I think in a world that is so scattered and, you know, we're so distracted all the time, we stop listening to ourselves and we stop listening to what we need and we're listening to everybody else. And in turn, sometimes that isn't always the best route for you. So yeah, that awareness piece, which is what we always keep coming back here to is so key. And it's just learning for people to like pause and listen to themselves. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So from your book, uh, you know, what would you want three people to have like three massive big takeaways from? Yeah, totally. So the one thing, again, step one here is to, actually, I would say it's, it's step zero, is to be willing to explore a new and different solution mm-hmm. <laughs> that you haven't done before. I, and I didn't really talk about that in the book, I don't think, but that's the first thing. I could tell you all the tools and things that you can do, but it doesn't mean anything if you're not willing to do it, right? So you got to be willing to step out of your comfort zone. And well, if you did a diet, for two years, you did a competition. Well, you've already stepped out of your comfort zone. Just are you willing to step out of your comfort zone in this context? So that's the first thing, right? Now, once you're able to do that and you are willing to embark on that journey, then again, it's the first thing is to have awareness about your biography and, and ask yourself, well, how did I come to be this way? What do, what do I think is the reason for this? Right? Just acknowledging it, noting it, and that's it. Being aware of old wounds. Now, once we get there, cool. But beyond that, step two would be related to things like being, and I talked about this in the book, this whole chapter on being, because in order for us to become, which is step three, the next best version of ourself, which is not this right now, we need to embrace everything. We need to accept where we are. We need to embrace um, new intentions. We need to bring trust and acceptance and letting go, right? We need to unburden. We have to decondition. We have to release. And that can involve a lot of different sort of... uh, techniques and things that I talk about, but not in detail, but imagery and story editing, um, inner child stuff, like all those sort of things are really useful. Um, and so we're simultaneously then healing your wounds and exploring the meaning. And I talk about this too, which is what is the meaning and an opportunity with your pain, right? So how I've described it is, so what is the opportunity for yourself to be with the pain differently and to give yourself those unmet needs, to stop the self-defeating behavior? right? And the other part being with your meaning, how can I transform this in a way that would serve others? That's one of those powerful things that I think we can do as humans is how can we give ourselves what we want to others? And I talk about this with my example, my story at the very beginning of the book because, you know, I'm a wounded healer. I went through the same thing. I did the same stuff in teaching. And so if, if we can start to also look at that, explore it and see how we can use this pain for a great opportunity for others and serve them, whatever that may be, that's huge, right? For the great of humanity. And then lastly, like I said, it's becoming your next best version of yourself. It's putting into action, giving what you want to others and to yourself and having a purpose and meaning and all those things that I think we know about, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I think we all have this vision of, of who we want to be or those next levels or our higher self, whatever you want to call it. But most people aren't willing to go through the process. And it's the process that actually makes you that next level of yourself. Um, and everything that you've been saying you know, through our conversation here 
I can see myself in all of it. Um, I remember even when I stopped competing, I was still weighing food because it, it's a comfort. It, it's a safety net. And mm-hmm. I can tell you, like, I haven't weighed food in like four years now. And I can like finally have that freedom. And I, I just, I don't know if you want to call it intuitive eating, but I don't even think about what I eat. I just eat and I naturally stay in shape without even trying now. And I think that's the beauty of going through and doing healing. And I myself have done inner child yeah. healing and NLP and a lot of subconscious work. And I love that that's what the root of this book is about because that's the root of people's issues and problems and, and why they need to, you know, rely on all these frameworks and, and strategies in order to keep that control in their life. But that control is actually mm-hmm. keeping them from being happy and free, which is what we all want, right? Mm-hmm. It's funny. We think we need a system and we need a process, but... Yeah, it's the inner healing. Um, and I do truly believe that those of us who heal the world have been through some of the, the, the hardest shit because we're willing to stop and, and go through that and then transmit that back to other people. And I think that's the greatest gift and why we are actually here on this earth is to heal our own wounds and then help others heal theirs. So thank you for all this work that you're doing. Of course. Thank yeah, you. absolutely. So there's one last question um, that I finish on the podcast with everybody. But before we do that, where can people find you, creep you? Obviously, we're all going to run out and grab the Flexible Dieting Disaster book. But where else can we find you? There are two places I hang out the most. Uh, it's the autoimmunerevolution.com. That's my website, my company. And that's where you can find any sort of resources about what we do with autoimmune and PCOS and female reproductive disorders and even eating disorders, but it's inside that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Instagram is where I am very vocal (laughs) and talk about all this stuff and more. And that's at Justin Janoska spelled uh, J A N O S K A. Great. Um, Oh, I have one more question now that you just said that was speaking up vocally on Instagram and in platforms. Have you noticed a, a backlash at all with, speaking openly about the downfalls of counting macros and dieting and, and hurt any negativity. Oh, yeah. yeah? <laughs> oh yeah. I, I posted about this on Facebook the other day, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's pretty funny. Um, but yeah, of course. And I, I would expect that I kind of already knew going into this, that that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's just, it, it, it rubs people the wrong way. It's, it's, uh, going against their bias and whatever you want to call it. Right. So, um, and then there's people that will tell me that, you know, you're, um, you don't know what you're talking about. Like you've never been through this, like never had an eating disorder, which right. I haven't. And you know, uh, you're a man who thinks more, uh, thinks he knows more about, um, a woman than a woman does like stuff like that. And it's mm-hmm. like, you know, yeah, cool. And I, I, and so I, I acknowledge it. And I, again, I live the same intentions of, I'm talking about here with being with the being with it and just accepting it. That's fine. I'm not for everybody. It's okay. But you know, that's kind of how I look at it. But in order to create massive change, we need to have a very strong point of view, which you do. So there's obviously that polarity. People are going to love you for it. People are going to hate you. And those who maybe aren't on board are just, they're not your people, right? (laughs) Right. Exactly. Beautiful. Beautiful. So and the last question I finished with everybody, because this is the fulfillment project. What does mm-hmm. fulfillment mean to you? Yeah, I, I feel like I already know the answer to this. So to really make this simple and short, um, in the beginning of the book, I talk about my story and my wounds and really some of the hardest stuff I went through um, that really had a huge impact on me, right? 
And just so people understand, um, I went through a decade of really nasty, toxic relationships with other women. And I kept falling into the same issues over and over again. I didn't know why. And this is a lot of the reason why I do this work now. Um, again, it happened at a subconscious level and I didn't realize until maybe a year or so ago that um, this is why I do this. But I realized that a lot of these women were going through what my clients are going through. They have trauma and abuse and emotional neglect and abandonment and they experience a lot of death and bereavement in their life. And so it really showed up and it, that's exactly why the relationship didn't last. And I experienced a lot of blame and, and, sh and shame and guilt and um, thinking I'm like not good enough and all that stuff, right? And so one day I had this sort of epiphany that the reason why I'm doing all of this work now and why I'm so gravitated towards helping women become their best version of themselves and to um, really get out of this mess, this tangled web that they're in, is because not only, yeah, because it gives me fulfillment, but also because my way of getting what I want is giving them what they need. And so that was a huge sort of um, wake-up call for me. But fulfillment to me is, yeah, it's definitely like living your purpose and, and, and following that for sure. But it's doing it in a way that for me is going to help change the landscape of how we address autoimmunity for one aspect of it. That's really how I've looked at it. Um, but we're really serving others in the most profound way that um, we're not, in, in a way I would say that's profound, but also much needed um, because we're not addressing all, all some of these aspects that are necessary to make that happen. Mm -hmm. I'm just kind of rambling, but I think that's kind yeah, of how I describe it's it. It's all good. Yeah. Fulfillment, living your purpose. And I think, you know, we all, and I think it's kind of gimmicky now where people want to find their purpose or they want to find their calling and you actually have to go through a lot of shit until you actually find what your purpose is. And your purpose changes from time to time. Like you evolve, you grow. Yeah. I don't think you can just sit here and be like, okay, my purpose is going to be this and find no. it right now. It's, it's it, you know, again, it emerges, it comes up when it decides to, and it's trusting it, allowing the insight to come. Mm-hmm. That's so great. Thank you so much for joining us here today, Justin. Again, those of you listening, Flexible Dieting Disaster, run out, grab that book. It is on Amazon. And uh, we look forward to reading, Justin. Thank you, sir. I Thank appreciate you. it. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode. Honestly, shows and podcasts like this are not possible without you. So I have so much gratitude for my listeners. You freaking rock. If you want to find me over on Instagram, I am sarah.fennel. Tag me in a post. Let me know what your favorite episode is. Hit me up with a DM. I will always write you back. Shows like this are not possible without ratings and reviews. So if you feel so moved, please write me an honest comment, an honest review, and let us know what you think of the show.